Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Wednesday. Welcome into Soccer Morning. We are ready to go. Big program for you today. Lots of news to cover. Bunch of games yesterday that had significance, actual significance, and a huge, huge game tonight. The CONCACAF Champions League final second leg Montreal 61,000 plus Olympic Stadium as the impact attempt to become the first MLS team to win this tournament under the current format Club America attempting to become yet another Mexican team to win this tournament book a place in the Club World Cup does that matter is that interesting I don't know certainly the trophy matters We'll get into all of this. We'll talk about this. Uh, we'll open the phone lines, get your thoughts on Montreal's chances tonight. We have two very good guests on the program as well. Jurgen Sommer, head coach, Indy 11. He'll join us. There's a connection there as the Montreal Impact have signed goalkeeper Christian Nicht from Indy 11. An emergency situation as Evan Bush is eliminated from consideration via red card as Eric Kronberg is t- a cup tied. They have a couple of other goalkeepers in the mix. None of them experienced. None of them trustworthy at this point. Certainly not on this stage. Will Nick get the the start tonight? That's an open question. I think uh, everything is headed in that direction. Also, Howard Megdal from Capital New York, USA Today, a couple other places. An author, a sports writer, will join us to talk about soccer in New York as it exists right now. Part of that is that there has been some Movement on, well, can we call it movement? Is that what we're going to say? Movement on the New York City FC stadium front. A spot identified, reported by New York media outlets. Way up at the top of Manhattan, Columbia University's Baker, is it Baker? Baker Athletic Facility, something like that. If I had the name wrong, I'll get it right. Certainly will. We're going to do the stadium. We're going to do the news here. I'll get it right. We also talked to Howard about the Cosmos. They're attempting to get their stadium deal done. They're going to play some games on Coney Island. They're going to play a game in a minor league baseball stadium. We're going to be in the five boroughs. That'll be interesting. Let's hit that news before we get to Coach Summer in just a couple of minutes. In the DFB poll call yesterday, Dortmund beat Bayern Munich on penalties in the semifinals, ending a chance at a treble for the German uh, Giants. Robert Lewandowski injured in that game, a concussion, a fractured cheekbone. He's certainly not looking good to be ready for the clash against Barcelona in the Champions League next Wednesday. Aaron Robin came on. 15 minutes later, he came off. Calf injury could be out for the rest of the season. And then Bayern Munich lost in penalties. And then it was a disaster there. So we're see Dortmund on, the, on track for at least one trophy this season been a difficult year for Jurgen Klopp. He's on his way out the door. Could he cap it with a cup title in Germany? Barcelona destroyed Getafe 6-0 yesterday. The noteworthy thing out of that game, Messi, Neymar, and Suarez have now combined for 102 goals, I think, on the year. Messi, 49. Neymar, 32. Suarez, 21. Insanity at the top of that formation for Barcelona. They continue to roll. And again, look ready. While Bayern Munich is struggling just a bit, Barcelona looks ready to take them down 
in the Champions League. Now, stranger things have happened, and certainly Pep Guardiola will have his team prepared, whoever he has available. But Barcelona looks like a juggernaut at the moment. Hull beat Liverpool one nothing to move into 15th place, closer to safety, th- three points above the drop zone. Mario Balotelli injured in that match. It's just, it, the season is just sort of folding, uh, you know, drifting away for, for Liverpool. And now you've got plenty of chatter about Brendan Rodgers and his future at that club. And this is the, this is partly the Jurgen Klopp effect. Jurgen Klopp's available every decent sized club with an opening or any decent sized club with a manager who has not got the job done. Jurgen Klopp's name will be attached to them. And that's certainly the case with Liverpool. If you're a Liverpool fan out there, hit us up on Soccer Morning. I want to know if you give Brendan Rodgers any more time. He spent a lot of money. They had that great run, nearly won the title last year, finished in second place. 2014, 2015, it's been something of a disappointment. Very few of the purchases that Brendan Rodgers went out and made last summer have come good. Certainly, Mario Balotelli has not been the answer. Interesting news out of Spain, Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid could face a one-year transfer ban, much like Barcelona did, over the signing of minors. If you remember, Barcelona essentially got in trouble for signing foreign players, foreign youth players, that were that uh, did not fit within the FIFA guidelines. And the FIFA guidelines go something like, the family has to be moving to the country for non-football reasons if you're going to sign a player under the age of 18 years old. We know Spain, we know Real Madrid, Barcelona have to fill up those academies. There's only so much Spanish talent. by the, the wealth of Spanish talent, there's only so much. They would not be doing their due diligence as some of the world's biggest clubs if they didn't go out and try to find players in other countries. Now, this has led to questionable tactics. Barcelona challenged their ban. It was upheld, but not until after they were able to go out and buy Luis Suarez and make some moves in the transfer market. So we'll see if, if, if a ban comes down, if the Madrid clubs follow suit, I imagine that they will. Again, that's due diligence. You have, if you have the opportunity to, uh, to file, um, to file a, an opportunity to have the, the case reviewed. If you file, if you have the opportunity to file appeal, excuse me, you have to file the appeal. Some stadium news in MLS, as I mentioned, we'll get to this with Howard Megdal as it relates to NYCFC and maybe the Cosmos, but certainly Miami's still a talking point. MLS has committed to Miami. Don Garber on Friday saying, hey, we will be in Miami probably by the end of the decade. We're still working hard down there. The group, the David Beckham Lake group is still working hard. Now we've seen stories. Robert Andrew Powell wrote a story for Howler that indicated that maybe they're not working as hard as they could, or maybe they're not being as aggressive with the local situation as they should if they want to get this deal done. But the current plan that is uh, getting some heat in Miami no pun intended, is a stadium directly adjacent to the Mar- to Marlins Park, which we know was a boondoggle, which we know was a lot of money for little return, but a potentially 40,000-seat stadium next to Marlins Park? Is that even feasible for David Beckham and his team? Not so sure. NYCFC, as I mentioned, looking at Columbia University's Baker Athletics Complex, at the far northern tip of Manhattan as a potential site for a stadium, they would tear down the current Columbia football stadium, replace it, and then that stadium would house both NYCFC and the Columbia football team. Now, this is not the best solution to their problem, 
but it is a solution to their problem. And be New York City being what it is, they may have to jump on this chance. Now, I'm not a New York guy. Trevor is. We can get into this a little bit later with Howard. How out of the hot zone, how out of the, pro, the, the, the public eye does playing up at Columbia University's athletic complex make NYCFC? Better than Yankee Stadium? Absolutely. Good enough to keep NYCFC as a leading light of MLS? They certainly have those aspirations. Tonight, Montreal, 61,000. Mentioned that set the stage. New Canadian record for a soccer match about to be set in terms of attendance. CONCACAF title on the line. Aggregate score, 1-1. Montreal obviously holding the advantage via the away goal. What do they need to do to win this title? And how big of an upset would it be if they actually went and finished the job here? I don't know that there's a good analogy out there. Certainly an American sports analogy. You have some cup runs on other countries that may live up to this. This is a final. This isn't, oh, they a little tiny team went all the way to the semis or all the way to the quarters. This is a final. And not, Montreal's not a tiny team, but they certainly didn't. They weren't fancied, to borrow a phrase, heading into this tournament. They finished last in MLS last season. They are currently last in the Eastern Conference right now. We didn't know what to expect out of them, and here they are, having beaten Mexican clubs along the way with an opportunity to be continental champions. Nobody saw that coming. Let's take a break. When we come back, we will talk to head coach Jurgen Sommer of Indy 11. We'll talk about his goalkeeper. We'll talk about his season number two, popularity in Indianapolis. Don't go anywhere. Soccer morning. WorldSoccerTalk.com. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we are back on Soccer Morning, joined now by, uh, via telephone by Jurgen Summer, head coach of Indy 11 of the NASL. Coach Summer, how are you? Great. Thank you, Jason. Appreciate being on the show. It's good to have you. Um, you, you you're a you're couple of games in, into your season in the NASL uh, right now. Uh, this is year two of the club. This is year two for you on that job. And before I get to some some current events as it relates to ND11 and a, a certain transfer, I, I want to get into to what's different for you in the second year as opposed to 2014. Uh, excuse me. Yeah, I'd probably say the biggest thing for us is the familiarity with the league, uh, and not only just within our organization itself, but uh, you know the, the dynamics that come with the travel and. And, uh, you know, the quality of the other teams that we found in the NASL and then getting our own club up to speed, both on the field and off the field with our front office and all the fine detail that comes along with, you know, moving a professional soccer team around the country and competing in the Open Cup in the regular season and, and pushing through the playoffs. So there's a big learning curve there for all of us, uh, you know, to get into our marketplace, to introduce the team, uh, just a lot of moving parts. So. Uh, it was a very, uh, it was a very uh, stressful year, year one, but it's also a lot of fun 
to be launching a brand, to be launching a team uh, into a market that was hungry for a professional soccer team. And you can see that with the support that we got. But behind the scenes, there was a lot of work by a lot of great people in our organization that uh, felt overwhelming at times. But at the end of the day, the end of the season, it was so rewarding uh, and compelling not only to our fans but to our club and and that uh, we really got to enjoy it a lot more towards the t- towards the tail end of the season once a lot of the heavy lifting was done. But just getting familiar with the league and getting a team off the ground uh, was a lot more than I thought. Uh, you know, we had planned for in the beginning. How was that? How was that learning curve um, that you've gone through manifested itself on the field last year? You guys, you know, it took a little while. An expansion team took a little while to get your your first win to sort of settle in. You got. Uh, six points from four games. That's a pretty good return so far. Yeah, so far we we got off to a good start. We finished the season well uh, at the end of last season. Obviously, as we went through the course of the season, uh, we made some adjustments to the team. Uh, you know, we got some additional players in on loan towards the uh, you know the end of the fall season. That really did help. And like we said earlier, it was just a great uh, learning curve for us to see the quality of the competition we were playing against and. Uh, and you know, it led us to a point that we knew what we needed to get to be competitive within our own team, and then from going out outside of our team to bring additional players in. As you know, it's our first year as a club, and we were still growing, and our roster size was small for the for the most part. As we kind of left roster spots open till you know transfer windows in the summer, until we saw what we would be up against and what we needed, and then we went through towards the end of the fall season and added some strength there. But going into year two. Uh, we've got a much better handle as to the quality of the league, the players, uh, bringing back a good core group of our guys, as well as complementing those with uh, more domestic players and a couple of international players that have come in and helped. And has uh, led to, you know, just a, you know, we've been able to gel a little bit quicker this season. A lot of cohesiveness uh, within the front office staff, the coaching staff, training facilities. So it's all played itself nicely into a good mm-hmm. start for the season. And, and we just look to keep building and going forward from here. I imagine that the, the goal of Indy 11, um, you know, certainly knowing Peter Wilt a little bit and and, and you're, you on the job here and, and the, the, the team being fairly new, I imagine the goal is to be as efficient as possible, that you guys aren't just throwing money at, uh, at the roster the way that, that some other clubs in the league might be doing. How do you, where do you see Indy 11 fitting within the, the, the hierarchy of NASL when it comes to that, because this is the, again, this is not MLS. You guys can spend as much or as little as you want on your roster. Right. Now, I, I will say from an ownership standpoint, we've got great leadership in our owner, uh, and he's given us a lot of flexibility and freedom to kind of make choices uh, for the front office, for the team. Uh, we do have to live by a, by a budget and uh, you know, work within our means that we have. Uh, we don't have an unlimited supply of roster spots and monies that go towards players. So we really have to do uh, do our homework and do our best to stay as efficient as possible, as you mentioned. I think we've done a good job of that uh, over the last two years. The hard part is, is we've been sold out for every single game that we've played here in our market. Uh, fans have been really supportive of the team. Our, our core uh, supporters group, the Brickyard Battalion, uh, has been fantastic. We have... Uh, I would say the best home attendance, the best support in the league. So it's you, know, you go out there every Saturday and you can see the demand and and the interest in the team. And it you want to do more, you want to do more. But you know we also have a great group of young players that we're bringing along that just need some time. They need experience. Uh, you know they need 
game-like situations to grow and develop, and we think we have a good group of those types of players. Uh, and, and that's you know obviously easy to see now. Christian Nick, our goalkeeper, obviously a little bit more of a senior player, but having the opportunity that he does now just goes to the fact that you know you know teams within our country are looking at you know the players that we have and seeing if there's an opportunity down the road for these guys to grow and, and play at a higher level. So we're excited about that, but we definitely have to live within our budget uh, and do the best we can with the group that we have and the resources that we have. Um, but I really like the uh, the core group of players that we have and the commitment that we're getting from them. We still are a little bit light in our roster to date. Uh, we'll probably add a couple more players as we go through the uh, the late here, late into the spring season, and early into the fall season. Uh, let's come back to to your goalkeeper, Christian Nick, your former goalkeeper, Christian Nick. He had uh, previously gone on loan to the to the Impact to to cover in the Champions League back in February. Uh, it comes around that they need a goalkeeper again. Uh, there were some rumors they might look in MLS uh, that either didn't happen, fell through, or was uh, not allowed by the league. And ultimately, they decided to sign him. Uh, the pro- the thought process here, and, and you know, what is uh, what is ex- uh, you know ultimately going to be the end game for Christian with the impact, and how do you guys move forward without a star goalkeeper like Christian Nick? Yeah, we you know as we uh, as we are kind of building this team. You know, we really want to be a player-friendly club. You know, we see ourselves, you know, being very high on the player development side of of growth for a lot of these young pros. In Christian's case, a senior pro, uh, we want to be looked upon as that. We we kind of know who we are, so to speak. Um, so we have a lot of bright up-and-coming players. You know, Christian was our first signing that we brought in because we wanted a more senior leader type of player, especially in the back as a goalkeeper with a lot of experience. So he, he definitely filled that position very nicely for us uh, and, and played, well, I think he played every minute of every game last season. Uh, I think we're on a, a nine-game undefeated streak from last, the last five games of you know, 2014 and the first four games of this season. So he's been on a nice run. He's been in great form. Uh, and we also want to work within the, the leagues in this country. So we have a good relationship with Montreal uh, we had one of their players last season on loan with us, Blake Smith, who came in and helped us quite a bit. Right. Uh, so we had a good line of communication with Montreal. And it started uh, kind of late in February, early March, where Christian pretty much spent our entire preseason with Montreal as they were going uh, going through the these matches in the CONCACAF Champions League as a reserve keeper. So he would come in uh, and be away from us during preseason, but we knew it was a good experience for him. We didn't want to step in his way from a higher level opportunity and the ability to be within an MLS camp, to be playing in Montreal, to be playing in Mexico, and, and all the things that come along with that. Uh, we knew Christian had the, the characteristics and the experience to be, uh, you know, to fit right into that group, and he did. He did a really nice job, and, and obviously our season started in early April, and we needed him back. I think he missed a trip to Costa Rica, uh, but we really needed him to play for us, and they understood that. Uh, and our understanding with Montreal was, you know, if they needed him to play, obviously a different situation than to sit on the bench. So uh, obviously what happened happened with their goalkeeping situation. Uh, I'm not abreast to all the decisions behind the scenes as to the, all the options that they had. But mm-hmm. um, we do have a good working relationship with Montreal, and, and when they when they really needed a goalkeeper, Obviously, it's probably one of the biggest games in MLS history and North American history here for a long time. Uh, you know, it's hard to stand in, in your player's way for an opportunity like that. So, um, 
and then the two clubs came to agreement, and, and we're happy for Christian. We think he's going to do a great job. It's a terrific opportunity to play the game at the highest level in North America, and, and uh, you know, we wish Christian well. Do you, do you expect him to come back and, and play for Indy 11 again in the future? You know, anything's possible. Um, you know, the door is always open here for Christian and, and uh, for everything that he's brought to the club, especially, you know, being the first player side and helping us get this club off the ground. You know, the legwork that he's done in this community to help us build this team is, uh, you know, we can't thank him enough for it. Um, at the end of the day, he's got the opportunity now to go and play uh, in a massive game. And, you know, all options, I think, are on the table for him for an extended run there and, uh, with Montreal. Uh, it could possibly be another MLS team, uh, or it could be coming back to the Indy 11 at some point in the future. So we, you know, we would definitely welcome him back uh, if that were the situation. Um, but at this point, uh, the deal got put together pretty quickly to get him there in time to prepare for the game to be with the team, right. um, and that was a big concern. I know for Montreal is trying to get it within the deadline uh, appropriately. So. Um, the deal's in place. You know, if we were to get him back, I know we would be excited to have him back, and I know our fans would be for everything that he means to the club. So, so who do you turn to now? Uh, who steps into his shoes? As you said, he played every minute of the of the season last year. Yeah, he did, and uh, you know, we have a uh, two good goalkeepers uh, in our <laughs> in our ranks at the moment. We have John Dawson, who's a, a Butler product here from the Indianapolis community, and and this season we also brought in Keith Cardona. Uh, from New Jersey originally, but he was with the Red Bull organization and was in Salzburg with uh, Red Bull Austria. So two young keepers, uh, but both have done well here through the early part of the season and, and uh, in preseason. Uh, and it's going to be an opportunity for one of those guys to kind of get a game uh, down in Jacksonville, and then we kind of build and go forward from there. So really just taking it game by game, by game but uh, we have confidence in either one of these guys going in and playing and doing a good job. And uh, it's just something as a club and a coaching staff that you know we work with young players you know every day and just bringing these guys along and getting them ready for competition and the opportunity to play. So I know it'll mean, mean a lot to these guys as well, and uh, we'll get a great effort from them. Uh, let, let's come back to your team and the, and the way that you set them out, uh, Coach. This is uh, this is a sport where we talk a lot about. Uh, philosophies, tactics, formations, how how teams play. There's a, a bunch of talk right now about whether Chelsea is boring as they go about to the, go about their business, winning a Premier League title. As you you know, again, your your second year on the job here. Have you thought about these things? Do you formulate a philosophy in your mind how I want my team to play, and then how do you go about practically applying that, those thoughts to your actual personnel in order to get them to play the way you want? Yeah, no, it's a great question. We we definitely think about what uh, what we want our product to look like uh, on the field, home and away. Uh, we want to play entertaining, attacking football, something that our fans here enjoy that they want to see. Uh, and then we go out and we try to acquire the types of players that we know can play in those respective positions and give us the type of look and feel that we want on the ground and in competition. Uh, and that's the hard part. The hard part, especially... Uh, uh, at our levels, going out, finding those players with those tactical and technical abilities that can come in and athletically compete, uh, especially as you're talking about bringing players from outside the country. Uh, we have a very athletic uh, and a very fast league that we compete in. And, and in some areas of the world, when you go bring players in, uh, there's a big adjustment period for that. 
uh, and our athletes tend to be bigger and stronger and athletic. So all those little things we deal with, um, but it comes down to the, you know, the quality of the players that you have and the personnel you have to work with and their willingness to kind of get themselves molded into a group to gel and then perform uh, as you ask them to. Uh, you know, for us, at least initially from last year, as we kind of built towards the end of the year, uh, we kind of built from back to front. So defensively, we wanted to try to make ourselves as sound as possible and as strong and, and cohesive unit as we can, find the right midfield pieces. And you know, like anybody else in the world, any club in the world, Chelsea included, uh, you're always looking for, uh, you know, attacking players that can score goals or be dangerous, uh, have good hold-up play, uh, good finishing uh skills in the, you know, within the box or in and around the box. So, you know, we look for all those things in players and try to bring those pieces together. Uh, and then we kind of look at our opposition, who we play, how we want to play, home or away, and try to put a good, good game plan on the ground that we know we can execute. Uh, but defensively is where our focus has been uh, quite a bit this season as well, just just making sure we're not giving away soft goals, goals early in the game that force us to chase the game. And I think we've done a pretty good job of that to, to defensively be very sound and put ourselves in a position to always win games. Uh, so we're pretty pleased where we are at the start of this season. We've got a few points now after four games. Uh, maybe a little bit unlucky not to uh, capture a couple extra points here uh, against Carolina this past weekend. But if we get the effort and the performance that we have been seeing from the guys uh, thus far, you know, we just expect to have a great season this year and be very competitive within the league. Talking to Coach Jurgen Summer of Indy Eleven. Now, uh, Coach, you have uh, you have some you know you have connections to Indiana, obviously from your college days, and there's been a lot of great support in Indianapolis. We're we're tracking the the stadium saga as uh, as the club attempts to get a a place that they can call home for the for the distant future. Here, right. how important is it to have? You mentioned John Dawson, uh, a Butler kid. How important is it to have those local ties and have this team reflect Indiana on the field? You know what, I think it uh, it definitely adds to the fabric of the team and the culture of the community that's here, not just the Indianapolis uh, community. Uh, you know, one of the you know, big talking points that I've used in the past quite a bit, you know, I'm not originally from Indiana. I grew up in southwest Florida, but I did go to high school uh, through Colorado Military Academy, a boarding school, and Indiana University. So obviously spent a lot of time on the ground here. My wife's from the south side of Indianapolis. We met at IU. Uh, we're obviously raising our family here. Uh, but there's just a tremendous backbone in this state from north to south when it comes to youth soccer, high school soccer, college soccer, and especially on the college soccer scene. Uh, even my days at IU, we had great battles with Notre Dame, Evansville, you know, so you got Notre Dame to the north, Evansville to the south. Uh, obviously, IU's done tremendous over the years with the with their uh, ability to win, you know, I believe, eight national championships. Notre Dame's done the same now recently with Bobby Clark and his staff. And also on the women's side of the game, Notre Dame's won, I believe, three national championships on the women's side of the game. And then you have the growth of Butler University and, and others around. So... There's a tremendous fabric and support for the sport uh, here within the state of Indiana, and it just continues to grow and grow as uh, more kids play and, and adults play, men and women. Uh, quite a few women, uh, quite a few of the professional women players have come through Indianapolis or now on the, on the women's national team or the Olympic team. Mm -hmm. So there is a real culture and a support for the sport here that you know 
you'd expect to see in Florida, Texas, California, but it really is here and it does live and breathe here and it's already here. It doesn't have to be manufactured or, or marketed or sold a certain way. Uh, the fans are already here that play the game and support the game. So that's really been the fun part for us. And obviously any player that we can get uh, that has ties to the state, to the region, uh, you know, listen, we're not California, so we have climate issues that we have to deal with, snow and ice and rain. And, you know, we start at the beginning of the season at cold, wet temperatures, and we hope to finish the season in late November making a playoff run where you know, the temperatures will be the same as well. And uh, you want players that have a little bit of a, a comfort level and understanding of some of those things. So when we look around the state or the region, and uh, we've got a lot of great schools around us from a university standpoint that have produced professional players, and uh, we have now the ability to pull guys from St. Louis, Chicago, Detroit, Indianapolis uh, that are you know, coming to help us. So uh, we see that as a great pipeline of future players uh uh, to develop and grow from, uh, not just only the guys within the state, but obviously if, if they are coming from within the state and have some ties, uh, you know, we want, you know, we want those guys to, to come home, so to speak, and they have an extra sense of loyalty to the area, to hopefully the city and the team, because uh, we want guys that want to play for this team. And that's what took us a little bit uh, of time to get through year one, because we were a little bit unfamiliar. We were the new kid on the block and, it was a little bit of a wait-and-see mentality from a lot of players. Uh, I just want to see what the club looked like and the growth and the support, uh, the types of players that were here. And I think we quickly uh, showed the soccer community uh, what we were all about with our, with our home support, with the types of players that we had, and kind of especially the run that we went on towards the end of the season and the way we're starting this season, mm-hmm. uh, that we can be competitive with anybody. And we've got players at multiple levels playing for We had Ben Spencer on the under-20 national team. We had Victor Pineda going away with the Olympic team. Eric Morales going away last summer with the full national team for Honduras for the Central American Cup. Uh, you know, former Brazilian national team player and World Cup winner Cleverson's on, mm-hmm. the, on our team. And so we've, we've got a number of players. Uh, now Christian obviously going to play in the final of the Cup Champions League. So we have players playing at you know great levels uh, within our national teams and other national teams. And I think that's that word starting to get out. Uh, and there's only so fast you can push that out. Year one, I think we, we had a lot of great uh, talking points to speak about that, player development, the players that we have. And as we go into year two, uh, we look to do much of the same. And, and uh, you know, we want success for our players at our level. And and hopefully beyond. So uh, we're not going to step in the way of, of uh, uh, you know, professional success for our players. And when they put the work in and they put the effort in and it pays off, and you know, we're happy for those players and the opportunities that they then create for themselves because it's just a good reflection upon our club and our coaching staff. Coach Jurgen Summer of Indy 11. Uh, Coach, uh, best of luck on the on the rest of the season. As you said, uh, a pretty good start here. I think you guys are next in Jacksonville on the 9th. Is that right? That's right. That's right. Uh, so it should be a good trip down to the expansion uh, city of Jacksonville. NASL season well underway. Four games in for Indy 11. Uh, Coach, thank you very much for the time. Hope to talk to you again soon. Yeah, anytime. Thanks, Jason. I appreciate being on. No problem. Let's uh, take a break. When we come back, Howard Megdal from Capital, New York, USA Today, a couple other places will join us to talk about soccer in New York, stadium situations. Don't go anywhere. Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com.
Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we go, back on the show, talking now to Howard Megdal. Capital New York, USA Today, author, writer, extraordinaire, just a guy who knows soccer and some other things, and we were going to talk to him about soccer. Howard, how are you? I'm Jordan Rogers, and good to be on the show again. It's good to have you back. Uh, we've had some some things happen in uh, in New York over the last couple of days that are, are pretty interesting. I think uh, for a lot of people, the big headline is this news that NYCFC may be looking at uh, Columbia University's athletic complex as a place to build a soccer stadium. Uh, this is um, This is not you know the heart of the city by any stretch of the imagination, but it's still within the five boroughs, and this is a club that set themselves up as the team of New York City. Does this meet the requirement if they end up going with this project? Oh, absolutely. I mean, what you said is huge. There have been two teams going after stadiums, and one being the Cosmos, one being NYCFC over the past couple of years here in this area. But the Cosmos have an easier time of it because they have not built an identity around being in the five boroughs. So if they end up in Jersey, if they end up in Westchester, wherever they did, as long as they had a big, shiny new stadium, you'd have to call it a success. It was a much thinner uh, line that needed to be uh, treaded on by NYCFC to try and get inside the five boroughs during a time where it's really hard to get a stadium there, which which I, I guess it always is, but particularly at the moment. So to get to Columbia and get to a place, you know, with easy access, so on and so forth, it it makes a ton of sense. It's That's that's a question I have about the access, about uh, whether or not people who are uh, in Queens, in, uh, in Brooklyn, can get easily to this stadium, certainly people from Manhattan, even uh, people who may latch onto this team from Jersey. How much of a trip is it? Is there an opportunity to put any sort of parking, or are we talking purely trains and buses here? I mean, that's a great question as far as the parking goes and how you go about doing that. I can just tell you from a public transportation perspective, it's pretty simple. Uh, you know, if you're going from Penn, for instance, uh, you're looking at taking, you know, the two up to 168th Street and get on the one, or you can just take the one all the way. But it's, you know, a 45-minute ride, let's say. What's interesting is it's not demonstrably different from the length of ride you would take to Harrison, but, you know, we've talked about this before. Mm-hmm. There are other psychological barriers that seem to keep people uh, from taking that path in much the same way. Uh, it, it's a very straightforward uh, shot if you're trying to get there from, uh, you know, from near the boroughs in the city. Now, one of the things I've read, and certainly this, uh, as we would expect, this, this news popped up on Field of Schemes, everybody's favorite Not In My Backyard stadium website. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I read there from Neil DeMouse was that this is, this is maybe preferable for the team because of the way that Columbia's uh, land is, uh, is uh, categorized within the city, that something, there's something about no taxes or something like that. And obviously, partnering with the university would have benefits as well. Does that make it more complicated or make it, more, make it better, a better situation for NYCFC? You know, to be determined, uh, I, I trust Neil's reporting implicitly. So um, certainly if, if, if he, he believes that, uh, it's something that I come to believe as well. Uh, what, what I do think is tremendously useful in any of these circumstances is how many bureaucratic roadblocks are in the way. Mm-hmm. That's the end of the day. That's what, it, that's what the question comes down to. It's never been a question of money. 
uh, NYCFC has had the money even before we had the current ownership in place. MLS, when they were trying to build the stadium ahead of awarding the team, uh, you know, there was plenty of money behind it. It's more a question of who can stop this from happening. And it seems like there's a straighter path to making this work in Colombia for lots of reasons, not least of which it's already zoned for this. Right. Yeah, that's something that I mean that many MLS teams have found that the situation they found themselves in is the path of least resistance is the preferable path, even if mm-hmm. and I guess this is another question for you. I mean, even if this is not I you know, it, it'll work, it's fine, it's it, there's transportation, it's it's far from the worst thing. It's certainly better than Yankee Stadium. But in you know in twenty five years are we going to be saying man it really would be nice if NYCFC was maybe in the Bronx certainly Manhattan seems to be almost impossible but you know hey let's dream or or even in Brooklyn is is that something we're going to be waking up to in a, in, a, in a couple decades? You know it's possible. It's also possible that in twenty five years the landscape of how and where soccer fans are what the geographical center of the city of the New York metropolitan area is could change dramatically. I mean, if you had said 25 years ago, look, wouldn't it be better if something was in Brooklyn? People probably would have laughed at you. So it's really hard to make that kind of long-term prediction. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for my money, putting themselves in a soccer-specific stadium, putting themselves in a a stadium that is not Yankee Stadium uh, by itself, is very significant. Having a home of their own is so necessary now just to make them relevant in 10 years, let alone 25 years, that that has to take priority over trying to take a guess as to where New York City is going to be in terms of its development. Now, you said a soccer-specific stadium. Now, obviously, as part of the partnership with Columbia, what's been reported is that this would be all, the home of NYCFC, maybe first and foremost, that especially if they're fronting most of the money, but also the home of Columbia's football team. Um, no, that's true. That is, is true. Yes. Do you think that, I mean, look, this is not major big-time college football, and we know that, uh, <laughs> That look, I, I'm not trying to, to, to downplay the importance of football at Columbia. I'm sure they get, you know, a good crowd out there to watch those guys uh, try really hard and play Harvard and Yale and everybody else. But uh, but is is that going to be an impediment for you on the soccer front at all, or is it just a, you know, hey, if this is the re- if this is the way we get to where we want to get, uh, we just got to suck it up. Here's what I'll say: it, it would have been a laughable idea up until the last couple of months. But for whatever reason, Columbia has of late worked really hard at trying to uh, rescue its battered football program, which mm-hmm. has a rich history of losing. Uh, they, they've brought in a new coach. They brought in Penn's former coach. They've uh, totally revamped the coaching staff. They're looking to spend some serious money to make this happen. Uh, I'm not telling you that it'll ever get to the point where they are a dramatic national power uh, <laughs> that this becomes an issue, but uh, it is interesting that it is happening now, um, you know, at this moment. It would be fascinating to see. Yeah, look, I mean, obviously, you know, Columbia's football team, it's, it's almost like, hey, if we can get a new stadium out of this deal, that's great. As we attempt right. to, to, as you said, resuscitate a program that, again, I was being kind there, and I'm getting a lot of people on Twitter saying, go ahead, take your shots. Uh, yeah, it, it is what it is up at Columbia when it comes to football. Um, let's, uh, let's shift to the New York Cosmos, because while NYCFC searches around the five boroughs, and let's be honest, probably the four boroughs for a place to, to play and a place to build a stadium, the Cosmos have a site picked out at Belmont Park right on the edge 
uh, of Long Island and, and Brooklyn. And now they're going to go into Brooklyn proper and play a game at MCU Park. Outline what this means for the Cosmos and what it means for Brooklyn. So I've talked to people on both sides of this who have assured me that this particular arrangement is a one-off. Uh, in essence, the Cosmos couldn't play at home on May the 2nd. Hofstra has first right to the field, uh, which is a whole other problem for the Cosmos, right. of course. And so you've got to find a temporary location. MCU Park uh, was happy to uh, have the additional revenue, and so a deal was struck. That said, boy, Brooklyn sure seems like a better place for the Cosmos by far, mm-hmm. leaving aside the issues with the stadium share with Hofstra than uh, out, you know, out in Uniondale. And so... I think it's going to be interesting. I, I think it would be naive to pretend that the Cosmos aren't looking at this as, hey, let's see what kind of uh, draw we are at MCU Park. And uh, I also know that one of, at least one of the locations that Cosmos are looking at, if the Belmont Park Stadium doesn't come to fruition, and look, we're in year three of uh, that um, that bid not being ruled on, so it's really hard to certainly assume it's going to go the Cosmos way, to put it mildly, uh, that one of one of the locations they're looking at is in Brooklyn over at Sunset Park. So it's going to be a very useful stalking horse for what might be plan B for the New York Cosmos, mm. and uh, I'm certainly fascinated to see how it all goes down. Now, the uh, for anybody who doesn't know, MCU Park is home with the Brooklyn Cyclones minor league baseball team play on Coney Island there in Brooklyn. Um, is... If they do change their focus, and as you said, they've been waiting for three years to find out if they could, they're going to get to build at Belmont Park. Uh, if they right. change their focus, and maybe Brooklyn is a better place for them, or far, you know, closer in uh, to in Brooklyn, is does that change what their aspirations need to be? Because we're talking what twenty five thousand seats, thirty thousand seats at that Belmont Park plan. Do they have to downgrade that, and are they willing to do that? Do you think? The answer to the first part is not necessarily. It depends on what they're able to build, where they're able to build it, and um, how big it can be. Um, the second part is uh, I don't see anything that tells me that they are willing to downgrade their aspirations. Um, that doesn't mean they will reach their aspirations. You know, they have. Uh, to me, they're, they're the most fascinating story in, in American soccer right now because so many, uh, so many parts to American soccer hinge on what the cosmos do and if they are successful there's a fundamental change in uh, a broad swath of how american soccer operates today so you know say what you will about the likelihood of that happening it's what the attempt is right now there's a lot of money behind it and uh it's fascinating to see either way uh so will they reach it it's hard to say but not necessarily will they have to downgrade what they're trying to do. I, I mean, you know, if it's a 15,000-seat stadium or 20,000-seat stadium, it doesn't fundamentally change necessarily uh, what they're doing. If they were playing at MCU Park with the capacity of 7,500, mm-hmm. that's a different story. But that's right. not what they're looking to do right now, even as it relates to Brooklyn. And you know, I, um, you know my, uh, my geography uh, when it comes to New York is, is rudimentary. But uh, if let's just sketch this out very quickly before we talk about the Red Bulls a little bit, Howard. It, you got sure. the Red Bulls and Harrison. Uh, we know that that is uh, a psycholo- that the, the, the river is a psychological barrier for a lot of people when it comes to to Jersey and, and, and getting over there. There's obviously some, some issues getting there um, in, via train or, or whatever. But if, if 
if the Cosmos end up in, in Brooklyn, and look, I don't expect it necessarily to be Coney Island, but if you look at where Coney Island is in relation to, say, Manhattan, and uh, NYCFC somehow ends up at Columbia, this is a kind of an odd, uh, there's an, an odd donut there in the middle of, of New York. Is, is, are these three teams, b- via that sort of geographical situation, going to be able to maximize the city's uh, love for soccer the way we all hope, it, uh, hope they will? I think it will work just because of the public transportation. Uh, I mean, look, they've managed to maximize the city's love for baseball with uh, a team in Queens and a team in the Bronx, you know? And so I don't think it necessarily has to be centrally located for this to work uh, the way it's supposed to. But I will say, just going back to the point you made at the start of that, that the fact that the Cosmos didn't have a permanent home and the NYCFC didn't have a permanent home was essentially the one value added the Red Bulls had right. over what those two teams were doing right. of significance. And so losing that, it then begs the question, you know, what do the Red Bulls do to counter it at that point? Mm-hmm. And and I don't I don't know that the Red Bulls have an answer to that question at this point. Well, I mean, uh, let's let's talk about them just briefly because meanwhile in Harrison, actually, some really mm-hmm. good soccer is being played right now. They come off a one-one draw sure. with LA. Again, they probably should have won at home, but hey, those are the defending champs over there. They look like one of the best teams in MLS, and and maybe you could have reasoned your way into believing that ahead of the season but you changed the coach you obviously have a new technical director and Ali Curtis you you've brought in Sasha Kleshton you've brought in a couple other Felipe Martins a couple other players your back line is all kinds of in flux how surprised are you about where they are right now I am surprised they have gotten this far this quickly uh, and it's it's absolutely what they needed to have happen you know with the tumultuous offseason they had Leaving that aside, leaving the PR part of it aside, which was significant and problematic because it didn't just happen and was a PR nightmare. It was a PR nightmare heading into 2015, heading into a point where they had, you know, two big spending rivals, you know, right in their geographical areas. Um, you had a situation where the Red Bulls building the way they are and building on a foundation of analytics and building in that way made sense over the long term. But there was no guarantee that was going to pay off immediately in 2015. And so getting off to this kind of start, again, during this period of time where they have these rivals, but the rivals are, you know, far flung in the baseball stadium, you know, et cetera, et cetera, the things that they could sell would be Red Bull Arena and winning. Mm -hmm. And they only had control over Red Bull Arena. So the winning part is really significant as they're trying to sort of fight on this on this battlefield, especially when, for whatever reason, the corporate ownership uh, of Red Bull is absolutely unwilling to uh, spend much in terms of above the line advertising. All right, let's come back to their uh, to their MLS rivals in the city, uh, NYCFC, just briefly before I let you go, Howard, because I, mm-hmm. I've been point, I've been kind of banging the drum about David Villa. If he's going to be in and out of the lineup, that's not the value that they were looking for. I mean, he's obviously very good when he's there. He makes them a, a completely different team. They don't have the horses up front to replace him. How much of their season hinges on Villa's health? I mean, a tremendous amount of it, especially when we, we just don't know, A, when Frank Lampard's going to come, and B, how, how sound he's going to be physically coming off of the rigors of, you know, playing playing a full season. And so, you know, I've had people at NYCFC tell me, you know, 
he's coming off the bench for, you know, for Man City. And so, you know, there's uh, limited wear and tear that he's had over this time. But he's also no kid. And they they are dramatically different team without Villa. And it's, but it's more than Villa, to be fair, to NYCFC. I mean, they have just been absolutely slaughtered by injuries. And it's not ideal as you're trying to cement that relationship between uh, team and fans. Uh, again, you know, to sort of take it the opposite way from what we just talked about with the Red Bulls, you're not going to sell this team on the venue. So it's going to have to be based on style of play, uh, stars and winning. And if the stars are in and out of the lineup and they're not winning, then a lot of that disappears. Howard Magdal, Capital New York. Find him on Twitter, Howard Magdal. He's got a book coming out next year. It's not about soccer, but you should still look out for it. Uh, Howard, appreciate the time as always. Love to have you back in the near future, man. Thanks a lot. Sounds great. Anytime, Jason. All right, there you go. It's called The Cardinal Way. Go go look for it. It comes out, what, you said 2016, right? That's right. Yeah. There, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll open up the phone lines, get your thoughts. Lots of stadium news. Montreal in the Champions League. Tons of stuff happening. Don't go anywhere. Soccer Morning. WorldSoccerTalk.com. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Phone lines open 646-832-3909. Got a couple of things for you today. And as always, we'll take whatever you want to bring up. But you got Montreal in the Champions League tonight. 1-1, Club America, Olympic Stadium. I'm excited to watch the game. I think it'll be a good game. I think it'll be a fun, tense, dramatic atmosphere. So I don't know what to expect necessarily. I think Montreal give a fight. And I've got, you know, I've I've got a rooting interest to see Montreal, a team I'm aware of and have watched many times and players I like succeed in that tournament. But I don't know that I'll imagine this to be some sort of boost for MLS at the end of the day. And again, we we sort of set this up in opposition to the idea that you really shouldn't be rooting for anybody else to win anything if you're not a fan of that team. If you're not a fan of the Montreal Impact, why would you root for the Montreal Impact to win a tournament? I know TFC fans aren't going to root for Montreal, but are the rest of you? I know Washington and New York has been on this show like six times, boosting Montreal. He says he can't call in today. He's got works, whatever. If you're on the train, if you're on board, the bandwagon, I called it a train, now it's a wagon, bandwagon, from Montreal tonight, CONCACAF Champions League. Let me know. 646-832-3909. At Soccer Morning on Twitter. I also want to know, I saw this this morning. It looks like Russia is starting the process of getting their mascot together for 2018. Got a World Cup that they're going to hold. Got to have a mascot. Got to have a cute, furry thing. Whatever it is, animal, non-animal. Uh, what was the what was the mascot of of Brazil? What was the mascot? It was like a was it a it was an animal of some type, right? Was it like an armadillo looking thing? I think it was. I'm trying to remember. I mean, these these things fly fly out of your head pretty quickly. You remember the bad ones maybe more than you remember the good ones. 
But I put this out on Twitter, and I'm going to ask you guys right here on the phone lines and on Twitter now. What should the mascot be for Russia 2018? This is a rich vein to mine. <laughs> this is There are some possibilities here. I've seen some good suggestions. Now, the easy one is Vladimir Putin riding a, a bear. That that's the that's the easy one, right? Just Vladimir Putin riding a bear. I, I've seen a couple of other ones on Twitter. Andrew had a, Andrew actually gave sent over the image, Vladimir Putin riding a bear, put a soccer ball in the mix, put the FIFA logo on it. Looks pretty good. Now I don't know how you turn that because that's not that's just two creatures that you're combining into one mascot. It's probably going to end up being a bear. The Russians love their bears. Andrew's got another suggestion. Perhaps Val, the victory-loving soccer tank. (laughs) Uh, The impetuous iron-willed mascot for the Russian World Cup. (laughs) Just a tank pushing a soccer ball, guys. How can you go wrong with a tank? Everybody loves a tank. What's Russia's mascot for the World Cup in 2018? What would you like to see? Again, it's going to be some sort of bear. Maybe he'll be wearing traditional Russian garb. Maybe he'll have a soccer ball. You can't can't really have a World Cup mascot and not have a soccer ball involved, of course. There's got to be... It's got to be for the kids. I, I think that's what we're talking about here. You don't want to scare people. Now, Russia has so much available to be scary with that it almost seems like a waste that we're not going to get, you know, some sort of bulked up Putin looking figure who has a ball at his feet, is wearing a, you know, is wearing a, a soccer kit, a uniform of some type. Maybe he's got crazy hair. I mean, this is starting to sound like Poland and Ukraine's mascots from the Euros last time around. Maybe that's not the way to go. Can't just have some Slavic figure. Got to be more creative than that. Maybe it's a bear with Vladimir Putin's head. Is that good? Because don't you imagine that Vladimir Putin would inject himself into this mascot on some level? They're taking open. It's open submissions, by the way. Open submissions for the design of the 2018 World Cup mascot. So if you are, if you fancy yourself a mascot designer, if your name is Mike Rodriguez, maybe you have an interest in helping them figure out what to do here. This is from the AP. Russia has launched a competition to design the mascot. For the next 31 days, would-be designers... We'll be able to submit ideas and names for the mascot through a new Russian language section of the FIFA website. So you got to have a little Russian or you can use Google Translate, I'm sure. It won't look good. There will be no li- there will be quote no limits on a flight of fancy, unquote. And the campaign is targeted specifically at Russian children. World Cup Organizing Committee CEO Alexei Sorokin. By the way, that guy, he uh, downplays racism, but whatever. Let's go to Scott in California. He wants to talk Liverpool. What's up, Scott? Hey, yeah. Um, I guess I have a question. Do you think that because uh, Brendan Rodgers is the first um, Liverpool coach to not win a title or a trophy within his first three years, 
that he's getting this more of this pressure on, combined obviously with Klopp leaving Dortmund. Um, but do you think it's unfair in the sense that because I think you know losing Suarez and yeah. um, Sturridge also like just can't finish in the last third? Well, I think it's unfair in the sense that think the times have changed and. Liverpool went through a very bad period with Hicks and Gillette. The you you know you bring back uh, Kenny Dalglish and and that wasn't right the right fit and you, you know Liverpool's reputation as a power of English football and therefore a power on the European continent took a giant hit and you bring in Brendan Rodgers and you ask him to resuscitate that and what did he do? All he did was get them back in the Champions League. Now it wasn't where they wanted to go. But I mean, if you're asking him to put Liverpool right back where they were 10 years ago, and remember, they weren't winning titles. They were winning European titles. I don't know that that's fair. I, I'm, I'm sort of with you, Scott. Yeah, and I definitely uh, kind of on that last one that you said. Um, yeah, I think it's because of their, you know, the history of Liverpool and the, the lore around it is such a high demand and there's high stakes at all times. Um, and, you know, he came out and said, you know, I've talked with the owners and we have, you know, what, I mean, I know I have one more year that I have to get my shit or my, you know, stuff together. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, hopefully, I, I hope, I'm hoping Rodgers is there for at least a year just to see him play out what he has. Uh, yeah. I think some of his purchases yeah. have been good. Um, and just hopefully we have another year to see it. It, it, it. You know, part of it too, thanks for the call, Scott. Part of it too is that Brendan Rodgers, this is the biggest job he's ever had. And, and when you have names like Klopp out there in the world looking for a job potentially, the, Brendan Rodgers is going to pale in comparison to Jurgen Klopp. And that's, again, is that fair to Brendan Rodgers? I don't know. Eddie in Brooklyn, what's going on, man? Hey, what's up, man? Uh, just to answer your first question, no, I'm not rooting for Montreal tonight. All right. And it's enough. mainly because I find that MLS for Montreal campaign to be the most annoying thing. So just based solely on that, I want to see them lose. All right, good good enough. I think that's a fair enough reason. What else is on your mind today, Eddie? Uh, NYCFC, the stadium, right? Yep. Uh, I, still don't, I still don't think it's any – even if, if that Columbia thing goes down, I still don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. But I really wanted to only so I can see this, the massive spin that uh, both Don Garber and the team are going to put on it, and they're going to make it seem like this massive achievement when in reality it's still kind of a failure. Because they basically, they promised, you know, city money, Yankee power, Yankee clout in the city. And they promised this grand project. And at the end, they're going to end up getting a stadium on a college campus shared with a college football team that is only responsible for Marcellus Wiley, who's possibly the worst pundit <laughs> on ESPN. And I don't see how the, the massive city group money and how that the... The, the respect that the Yankees have in the city, that that's all they can generate. Yeah. But they're going to put massive spin on it. Like, look, we got you a stadium like one, which it's damn near impossible to get to, to Columbia, by the way, well, especially for somebody like me. Okay. That is ridiculous. Okay. Well, we, know you're, we know you're not going out to Columbia if they get the stadium built unless it's New York Red Bulls and New York City FC. We know that already. Now, well, look, I wouldn't have even gone for, for Red Bulls, too, for USL stuff. Like, I would go to, to Red Bull Arena to watch that kind of stuff, but I'm not going to Columbia. Right. To go to Columbia for me to watch it, it's just too much. Okay, fair enough. Eddie, you, you, I, I mean, I don't know what to say, man. You, 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 I think that, that this is a viewpoint some people will have, that the the uh, this is a failure on some level, but I also think that considering, and yeah, they set themselves up for this. They made the bed that they're trying now to figure exactly. out how to lie in. But on the same, at the same time, getting stuff built in New York on this scale is nearly impossible. So if they do achieve something, 
again, in it's it's all Manhattan. It's 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 part. I mean, you know, I again, I know, yeah, I know, but like that's that's a serious reach. It's like it's I like I go, you know, it's like go to your wife and be like, honey, I'm going to get you a ring for you for our anniversary, a diamond ring. And then at the end of the day, you get this twenty dollars thing at Walmart. And be like, hey, told you I was going to get you a ring, honey. <laughs> all right, fair enough, Eddie. Appreciate the phone call, man. All right, there goes uh, Eddie in Brooklyn. I can't remember what his shirt number is. I didn't put this list up in front of me. Shirt numbers for the for the best of the best around here these days. Alex, what's going on, man? Hey, Jason. So I want to talk a little mascot with you. Yeah. By the now, way, what if I just got before you get before you go into this? A couple from Twitter. Uh, Grant says right. Grant says Zangief would be a good one, which I agree with. And then Ray says, Chivas USA's mascot's not doing anything. Just change the jersey logo. So there you go. What, <laughs> what, do, you, what do you got? Well, you know, I, 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 think, I think it's going to be pretty hilarious when, Ru- when Russia tries out their own mascot. What if, what if every country brought their own mascot? So we had 32 mascots there, and it was, <laughs> we made it a little bit like the baseball all-star game. We had okay. a mascot parade and a mascot soccer game beforehand. right. right. Well, it, uh, we, I don't know, man. I think that could go somewhere. The United States doesn't do that. And I don't know. I, I'm, I don't know about other countries other than Japan. I know Japan had, I want to say Pikachu was their official. Yeah, it, it was like a Pokemon or something. Yeah, their official mascot during the 2014 World Cup. I think that's right. Um, yeah, every, every country should have a mascot. Now, should it change? Now, look, if you give, if you give the, the, um, if you give the responsibility of designing the mascot to somebody like Nike, we're going to have a new mascot every two years. Should, th- should that be the way we go? Or should, should the United States have a, a steady, dedicated mascot? Something that we can look to every four years. Well, I mean, you know, every tournament, to be honest with you, but every four years and go, that's our mascot. That rep- that's who represents us. It's, a, it's an eagle with oversized muscles or something. I mean, I guess that's DC United's mascot uh-huh. already. But what is it? What, is, what do we go with here? Is it, is it uh, a, uh, Uncle Sam? Is it, uh, is it an eagle? Is it, what else is uh, on the list here? Alex, what can we do? Statue of Liberty. Statue of Liberty, you can just take someone off the streets of New York there. They're already dressed up in the costume. <laughs> uh, it's got to be something patriotic, you know. Absolutely, got to be patriotic. Got to be fun for the kids. It's got to be. That's yeah, the key. Well, right? that's what that's what it's for. Yeah. Yeah, we we get the mascot. We get more kids playing soccer. Next thing you know, we're a world power. I think we figured it out, Alex. We've got the recipe here. <laughs> All right. You got anything else, man? Uh, nothing. Just go Montreal tonight. All right. Thanks, so you, so you are rooting for Montreal. That's I do want to know from you guys if you're pulling for the Montreal Impact. In the CONCACAF Champions League, second leg, uh, final second leg tonight against uh, Club America. I'm pulling for, I'm pulling for Montreal for a couple of reasons. Again, it's not because of MLS for Montreal. That part I don't care about. And I'm sort of with Eddie. It's, it's, it's not really the best look for MLS anymore to be promoting one team to everybody else in the league. It doesn't have to be kumbaya. It doesn't have to be hashtag team soccer. We can be individuals here who have our own rooting interest, but I'm rooting for Montreal because It'll be an amazing story, an amazing story to see this team who uh, nobody had going this far. The fact that they've broken this up into, uh, you know, they've broken up the, the Mexican hold on the final even. I think, I think we determined, we talked about this a couple weeks back with Eric Gomez or Tom Marshall. Apologies to the one it wasn't. But we talked about how since the format change in 2008, when CONCACAF said, you know what, let's just replicate the UEFA Champions League. Only one non-Mexican team has made a final. 
That was RSL in 2011, and obviously they lost that final. So Montreal has already achieved something that only RSL has achieved before, and now they have, they're this close. Now, RSL was this close. RSL was nearly there, and they couldn't do it. There's no guarantees that Montreal is going to get it done. But if they did, what a story. Trevor's looking forward to uh, Patrice Bernier versus Lionel Messi in the, uh, in the Club World Cup. Yeah, that's, that's the other thing we get to talk about, the Club World Cup, how amazing that would be. Guillermo, what's going on? Good morning. Uh, well, you know, I just want to check in to uh, let you know we're definitely rooting for Montreal. Uh, we got to get that money line. This is a huge underdog. We win this, or not we, but the French Canadians win this. And, uh, you know, the Mexicans can no longer say they've always won it, which is something, right? Uh, and there's plenty of that feeling, uh, definitely in social media, uh, in the conversations I've had. Uh, we may not all be... It's MLS versus the Mexican League, but they, they're feeling the pressure. Okay, so that's all they're talking about. Okay, yeah, and you know, I think there's a, there's a, a line out there that says that you know MLS is backing Montreal, that's giving Montreal a boost, while you know Liga Max, they don't care. Nobody else cares about Club America. You're not going to get. You're certainly not going to get Chivas fans to root for Club America. You're probably not going to get Puebla fans or Cruz Azul fans. Cruz Azul, I think. Um, may have some claim to the most CONCACAF titles in history, so they don't want to see Cruz, uh, Club America go and win this. So, I, you know, I, I think it's, to me, it's it's a sign of maturity if we have a fan base who goes, you know what, that's not my team, screw them. But I sort of get, again, I get why you'd be rooting for Montreal as a matter of just seeing the underdog win. But I don't I don't know. Absolutely. I, I don't know, Guillermo, if it's, it could be anything else. Well, the one thing is, like, the, the, the deck's stacked against them, right? The, who's going to be at goal, right? That's the one critical position. This has happened before in World Cup. You might recall Peru, Argentina, uh-huh. right? The goalie can, can make a difference. And now they're going with uh, uh, somebody with an unproven quantity. Uh, and Global America is going to come out and, and try and, and, you know, see what he has. Now, if he responds and, and, and makes this happen, that man needs to be in the, in the, in the Hall of Fame. Just for one, based on one performance, but I, I don't know that that's going to happen. Uh, they've proven they can score. They got speed. Yeah. They got that turf. Uh, and I think it, it's it's just history in the making. I think so too. Thanks for the call, uh, Guillermo. I think they have. They've got that edge to them, and they're going to be jazzed up to play in front of sixty-one thousand plus at at Olympic Stadium. There's no doubt. Jose's certainly pulling for him. It looks like uh, Jose in Texas. What's up? Yes, uh, I am a Montreal Impact fan, despite the fact that I am many, many miles away. I was living in Montreal during the inaugural season, and I completely fell in love with the team, and I will forever be a fan of the Montreal Impact. Um, and I'm, I'm very excited for the game. I mean, I wish I could be in Montreal in the stadium uh, with other 60,000 fellow fans. Unfortunately, I have to follow for my television, mm-hmm. but I think, I think we have to be optimistic. I think they have a good team. I actually don't think the weakness is going to be on goal. Uh, this goalkeeper no. was with Montreal during the during the preseason in Pachuca. I think I, I don't know if Cabrera is going to be ready. Hassan Kamara seems to be injured. Cabrera, I don't know if he's if he's going to be ready. So we might have to uh, incorporate Nigel Rio Coker into the into the right back position. Uh, um, that's and, what I'm worried about. And you know what? And the thing about Nigel Rio Coker is he's done a, a pretty good job of helping, you know, muck up the midfield when Montreal has played these teams that obviously have a, a talent advantage, Jose. So that's going to be a loss if you take him out of the midfield. 
I think so. I think I think Nigel, more than his his technical ability, I think he's been a great leader. Yeah. So despite the fact that he might be played in out of position, I think I think just having him on the field is going to be a plus. I think Donadell could step up. Um, Malice has done a great job, in my opinion. I, I think a lot of people didn't expect much of Malice, and I think you know with that contribution to Porter to get us uh, towards Alajuelense against Pachuca. And then that game at the Azteca, I thought he played a great game. Yeah. Um, I think I think the I think America are scared, like the Montreal Impact players have said. I genuinely think that they have a lot of pressure. These teams in Mexico have a lot of pressure, and they need to perform. America has not been playing well. They haven't. Um, they've been diminishing their losses. They've been diminishing the tie against uh, Chivas. Um, and they've been diminishing this team. And there's a lot of talent in the Montreal Impact team. Uh, we, we cannot forget that Lawrence Simon was in the World Cup roster. Piatti was voted the best player in Latin America last year. Uh, it's a good team. And, and they, have, they have the ability to bring the cup for the MLS. And, and I sure as heck hope they will. Thanks for the call, Jose. I appreciate it, man. Uh, the other reason to root no problem. For, the, the only reason the other reason to root for Montreal in this tournament is if you imagine that that the Champions League in this part of the world can become a big deal. If you want it to become a big deal, if you're if you imagine a Concacaf Champions League that comes even close within miles of what UEFA's got going, or even you know I think the the, the Asian Champions League is on a different level as well. Certainly Copa Libertadores. If you imagine a tournament closer to those levels, that this might be the boost. Montreal winning gets MLS people a little bit more interested. Certainly, look, Canada is going to go crazy for this or Quebec anyway, and and there you know gives belief to those MLS teams that will be inter- entered into the next tournament that they could go and win it. Look at look at what Montreal did. They haven't won a league, a league game yet. They won a Champions League. Are you kidding me, Ray in, Mon- in Milwaukee? What's going on? Yeah, uh, I think it's going to be a 2-1 scoreline for Montreal. I think Montreal's going to do it. I think they're a team of destiny. I think they're going to come out here and play very aggressive and somewhat even chippy or dirty and frustrate Club America. And I, I just want to say that, you know, I truly believe that Club America, player for player, is the most talented team in CONCACAF. But uh, Matosas doesn't have those guys playing for him. And I think that shows what a bad manager or not the right manager does to a club, even regardless of talent. Uh, here's a question from Eddie, uh, Eddie in Brooklyn, who we just had on the air. So America's poor form in Liga MX is an advantage for Montreal, but Montreal's poor form in MLS isn't an advantage for Club America? I, I think you throw the, cl- the the league form out the window, Eddie. And I don't know how you feel about this, Ray, but I think you've got to throw everything that's happened in the league out the window. I mean, you know, we just had a caller says that, that, that Club America's feeling the pressure because they diminished the draw against Chivas and you know, the, I think the the one thing you can consider is that Montreal has had time to pr- to focus on this tournament. The league has cleared the schedule for them, gotten things out of the way, while Club America had to go Wednesday, Sunday, Wednesday, and that's a little bit more right. difficult for Matosas. I, I mean, that, that I think is a factor, right? And then the travel. Right. I agree with that 100%. I don't think Liga Max did uh, uh, Club America any favors by letting them play this, this Super Classical this Sunday night. Not even Sunday during the day or, or Saturday night. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think that the pressure in the locker room, you know, I think the media pressure is there, but I don't think this locker room uh, is jelly. I think that the bigger problem is that there's people that in that system in that locker room that uh, are not gelling with Matosis. I think that the, the pressure in that locker room is that's what's going to fail. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. America, not necessarily the pressure. They're always going to have pressure. They're, you know, they're the Yankees of, of CONCACAF, you know, and yeah. so that's why I think the pressure is coming from. It's internal and pressure. Yep. Going to be interesting. Thanks for the call, Ray. Appreciate it, man. 2-1, you got a prediction on the on the air. That's good. We'll see if, if Montreal can uh, can get the deed done tonight. I mean, look, I still think Club America is the favorite. I, I'm not trying to paint this as if Montreal is is you know a 60% likely winner here. I think it's at best 50-50, and, Mont- and Montreal's talent deficit is going to be something they have to manage. But they've proven that they've man- they can manage it. They've done it throughout the tournament. And again, whether or not Club America is going to be cowed by 60,000 people in a dome on turf, and you could argue that they won't be, it's still a home match for Montreal and a away match for Club America, and those things typically matter. Speaking of Montreal... Speaking of their best player right now, Ignacio Piatti, Nacho Piatti, uh, there's a, a tweet here um, that says, uh, I'm reading a rumor here, Ruben Rodriguez is reporting that he may have interest in, in Mexico now. Uh, I don't know if he, he probably would have before, but that Leon is interested. You know, uh, it, it, it'll be interesting to see if Nacho Piatti helps, club, uh, helps Montreal Impact win a CONCACAF title after having won a Copa Lib last year and then goes and moves on and, and, and joins up with a club in Mexico uh, potentially for another opportunity at that tournament or just to uh, just to uh, help uh, help Leon back up the table. Navid is calling me out. Why wouldn't you be MLS for Montreal? Are you too cool? That's exactly it, actually. I am too damn cool to be MLS for Montreal. I don't know, Trevor, are you too cool for MLS for Montreal? I mean, we're, we're those guys. We're the... We're not going to do the dorky thing and, and root for Montreal. Why would we do that? Why would we lower ourselves? Got to keep up our, our images, man. Navid, seriously. What do you think? No, of course not. That's not the issue for me. And again, I'm rooting for Montreal tonight for a couple of reasons. But the, the underdog story, the incredible achievement, the fact that this may help the tournament. And I, and I do want to see the CONCACAF Champions League get bigger and better. I've sort of dismissed it because it hasn't improved enough. But this year is proving to be a, a big step forward for the tournament. Lots of people have watched this this competition in person. Now, if we get the TV to come around, especially in the United States, that'll be a big deal as well. That will push the tournament forward by leaps and bounds. All right, let's wrap up this edition of Soccer Morning on a Wednesday. Make sure you go to backheel.com slash store. Buy yourself a Soccer Morning mug. Got t-shirts over there. Some really cool stuff. Chuck Blazer, Don Garber, Lee Wynn, stuff like that. Uh, you can go to 3 nilfccom to buy a Soccer Morning t-shirt. And make sure you go to Facebook, look for Soccer Morning, find the invite, and we'll tweet it out again here. Find the invite for the May 8th launch party at the Football Factory in New York, Football Factory slash Legends. There in New York. I'm going to make my way up via train. We're going to have a a watch party for the MLS games that night. I know for a fact some soccer luminaries are intending to be there. And I don't mean me. And I don't mean Trevor Hayward. As much as I would love to put you on luminary status, Trevor, I just can't yet. So make sure you look for that link. And RSVP. Because we'd love to know how many people are actually going to show up. How many people are interested. Gives us a sense of what the demand is. For the actual party on uh, on May 8th. Come have a beer with me. Watch some soccer. What's wrong with that? All right. 
Uh, thank you very much to our guests today, Howard Megdal and Jurgen Summer of Indy 11. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Big Thursday edition of the program. My running away music. I'm running away from the show because I'm done with it. Talk to you guys tomorrow. <laughs>